And I love what Sharon Moore did with their offensive plan because they have not been super creative all year, and they were going to have to be that against Alabama. That's what had worked against Alabama. Misdirection, window dressing, you know, getting different guys going in different directions, changing up your reads, and they did that. They added some of that, some unbalanced looks, some different plays that they had, and that's why they were successful. But I'll just go back to what I said before. It's not super analytical. I'm not betting against this Washington team. I'm not betting against Penix. The way that they can distribute the football, they're one of four teams that has 2,000-yard receivers in college football this year. I think I've always thought team of destiny is super corny. I hate that. But whatever the it factor is, like this team's just got it, man. I'm, I'm not going to bet against Washington. The Greenlight Podcast welcomes you. That's the sound of college football crashing into your living room. It happened the other night. Michigan, Alabama, and Washington and Texas faced off in two great semifinal matchups. We finally had a couple good semifinal games. Happy to be able to watch a few good games. We've got Cole Kublik on today to recap those games. Cole and Chris break down Michigan's game plan, how it was so effective against the Alabama offense, and how they stopped that final play from Jalen Milrow. And then we jump into the game that Cole was actually on hand for. He was on the sideline for the entire Washington-Texas game. He talks about Michael Penix's accuracy, how they were able to hold off the Texas Longhorns and Matthew McConaughey there at the end, and the amazing wide receiver core for Washington. All those guys who were catching those deep bombs from Michael Penix. Cole also talks about the state of college football, why Kirby Smart is such a good coach, and potentially plants a couple other universities that Chris needs to add to his side team list for 2024. Please enjoy this great college football breakdown. We'll catch you with a great Freak Show episode on Friday, Week 18 previews, and a whole lot of fun. Catch you then. All right, without further ado, this is uh, actually my very first podcast from the house. I have said, the hell with the studio. I want to work from home like everybody else. And uh, Stanford Steve blew off the show this week, so he said, I can deliver you somebody even better. And his name is Cole Kubelik. You know him from Mac and Cube. You know him from ESPN. I watched three hours of this dude getting cardio running around uh, the uh, Superdome last night, uh, and he's still kicking. He just put the kids to bed, three hours sleep. My man is answering the call for the Greenlight Pod. Appreciate you being on, dude. How are you? Hey, Ben. I, I appreciate you having me. Excited to be here. Um, I'll share this with you. Got home today, and my six-year-old wanted to play Mario Brothers, and we have the old-school NES Nintendo. And he switched go. it up, and he said, Daddy, can we play some of the football? So I was giving him a lesson on your dad because I was playing with the Raiders. And we were playing the yeah. original Tecmo Bowl. And so Tecmo. he got a little Bo Jackson lesson, a little Howie Long lesson, a little Tim Brown lesson, and uh, he got smoked. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's never good for him when he wants to play Tecmo Bowl, but uh, he got a little lesson in Howie today. Dude, I just got off the NBA 2K, beat my seven-year-old Waylon uh, <laughs> 88-46. to 46, uh, And – and he hadn't updated his roster, so the Wizards don't have Jordan Poole. So I really kicked his ass. So 
It never gets old beating your kids in video games. You got to serve them humble pie every now and again. And I feel like that Tecmo Bowl, the way kids are today, they can't they can't comprehend a game being that graphically inferior. And there's so <laughs> few buttons. You know what I mean? It's almost like we have an advantage. It's a little too simple, right? It's he's like, how do I pass? I'm like, you hit A and then you hit B. It's not hard. There's only two buttons. Yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> It's pretty sick. They do pepper you with uh, questions like throughout the whole game. Oh, the whole time. Absolutely. Come on, on, man. So anyways, super excited to have you on. I was like, man, you know, we don't talk a ton of college football on this show, but when we do, we love having Steve on. It's going to be great having you on to just, you know, for somebody who was down on the field last night for that epic game. And one thing I've always complained about as a casual watching the college football playoff is the first round games are rarely – what they were last night. Oh yeah. And I, you know, I, I wonder if that's like, I'm coming away from that and saying, Hey, more of this, I'm fine with it. You know, more of these games. Cause I don't feel like necessarily the quality of football. Now the quarterback play in the late game from Penix was amazing, but I don't feel like those are the best teams we've seen over the last decade in college football. But what made it great was it's winter go home and they're closely matched teams, and now we're going to have a bunch of these things. So do you come out of last night thinking, hey, this is going to be even better? I think so. There's a chance. Um, but then I see a – and it's a, it's a different game, so it has different meaning. You see an Oregon Liberty, and you start to wonder, okay, a lot of people want to do this for inclusion. If we start including some of these lower-level teams, are those the games that we're going to get? You hope not. You, you hope yeah. that they're going to be competitive. But I do think the portal has changed everything. And you can go from mediocre to really good in one offseason. You can take a position of weakness and all of a sudden get a three-year starter that has seen everything, knows everything, can get you into whatever you want, and you've got a vet who's running that spot for you. You also have sixth and seventh-year guys that are playing college football right now. I mean, Bo Nix has made 61 starts. That's insane. Like, I would have been happy if you told me when I was going into college if I got six starts. But like, it's just it's a different world that we're in right now. So I, I do think that we'll get more competitive games. I think the difference will be, Chris, when we went into this playoff, I think most of us thought all four teams had a chance to win it legitimately. Yeah. Like we could have made the case for all four teams. We start getting to 12. I wonder where we'll draw that line. Like I can see three or I can see six. I, I don't think we're ever going to get that deep in, as far as teams that could actually go win it. But, man, if we get a day like we got yesterday, that, that was just unbelievable. And like you said, it wasn't – Penix, yes, quarterback play, but there were other reasons that other teams were either in those games or won those games. Like, Michigan didn't really win that game because of J.J. McCarthy. Nope. I mean, they made plays when they had to, but Blake Corum was great. That defense was amazing. The front seven was unbelievable. Both plans were exceptional. So, uh, I, I like seeing teams win – because of different reasons other than, and no offense to these guys, you know, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence. Like, I love seeing contrasted style games and teams winning for different reasons. It is cool, and everything do, does hinge on that, that kind of 6 to 12, you know, spot. Because I, I can't imagine more than six teams being able to win it in any given year. We'd be lucky to have yeah. that, right, as fans. And, yeah, the, the, where is that Mendoza line for a team that's going to ruin one of the three-hour slots? But I do think – you know, if you can get some evenly matched teams, it doesn't really matter if it's if these two teams can win the whole thing. If it's in the first round, we just want a damn good game, you know, and that's what we got last night was two awesome games and very different. You know, I still like 
that that was a game that I don't consider a rock fight in the first one at the Rose Bowl, but it's a game that you know it's like scoring in the twenties. What year is it? And right. good defense and possessions meant something. You know, I sound like an old guy talking about this, but. I love that. I love the run game and, and all that stuff. And, and then you get a totally different flavor at night. And so, like, I, I thought it was great. I mean, I th- I, and what's the hard part about it is, and, and I didn't really know, I didn't get to dial into that game yesterday afternoon because we had to go over to the Sugar Bowl. But when I watched it back this morning, people are talking about, you know, passes that are dropped, bad snaps. But go back and watch Alabama's receivers. There's not a lot of guys open. You yeah. go back and watch the the – the pressures or stunts or simulated pressures that they were bringing, it, it wasn't just overloading eight guys to one side and saying, you know, fuck it, here we come. It, I mean, it was calculated. It was movement. It was precision. It was a lot of execution as to why Michigan did the things they did in that game. It wasn't all just Alabama failures. I mean, hell, Michigan, they muffed a punt. Uh, they had a drop snap on a, on a PAT. They missed a field goal. So it wasn't like they were without mistakes. I mean, hell, the punt return down on the one was about the end of the game for them. So yeah. I, I, I loved it because I, I thought that their defense was relentless. I thought the secondary covered better than anybody thought they would. And the front seven just flat out got after it. I mean, penetration in the run game, winning one-on-ones, Showing different pressures and looks, simulated, dropping guys out, bringing guys back. I thought that, I feel like they had a good idea where Alabama was going to slide their protection. That got them a couple free runners. It was cool to watch. I'm with you. I, I like all different styles of football games. It doesn't have to be 52 to 58 for me to enjoy it. And I think that's one thing maybe in that 12-team playoff that we'll get. Styles make fights, right? So exactly. maybe we'll get an up-tempo team against who we think one of the better teams in college football is, and it's just a bad matchup that day. And that team might not go on and win it, but they might take the favorite out of it, and it opens it up for two or three more teams. So it could absolutely be more exciting that way. And, like, when you look at the NFL playoffs, we're getting ready to talk about that on our show here. And, you know, all the scenarios, it is a matchup year, especially with with relative parity outside of really two teams in the AFC and the NFC. There's one that stands out on both sides. But then it's about, like, who you play. And I think that's what makes it so cool and what makes this time of year so cool and in years – Going forward, I think that's what will make it really cool the last three weeks of the college football season is trying to forecast who's going to be where and where you do want to be, where you don't want to be. And, and so I, I, I guess we'll start there with the, uh, the Rose Bowl. And I know you didn't, you, you didn't see it in real time, um, but I guess my first question to an offensive lineman, former SEC offensive lineman, is what the hell's happening with the snaps? Oh, this has been an issue all year with Seth McLaughlin, and it's – it's inexcusable. I'll, I'll, I'll say this first, Chris. I probably about week six or seven. I, I I do a morning radio show in Birmingham, Alabama, with McElroy. You've come on with us before. Yeah, well, I, I, like I I went on like a little mini rant because it wasn't just Alabama. I it was seemingly every game that I watched, you'd get two or three bad snaps a game. And I when I was playing, first thirty minutes of practice before anybody else was doing anything, we'd be out there snapping the ball. And there was another five minute period center quarterback exchange where, you know, all 27 guys that might snap the ball one day would go down there and take their turns, shotgun snaps underneath, whatever it was. And then after practice, I would always snap more and get extra, especially if we had different quarterbacks that might play. It's inexcusable. It really is. And there were a couple that weren't. See, I, I define bad snap different than everybody else. To me, a bad snap is one that, that cannot be corralled by the quarterback. Yeah, now, that, like the last, snap, the last snap of the game was low, 
So no. that was in, it was inaccurate. It's an inaccurate snap and took took Jalen Milrow's eyes off the play, which I think forced him to panic and then just so run too. north and south. Yeah, I think so too. That's why that play looks so bad. You're like, what are they doing? But it's because you know that 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 call is predicated on him being able to scan the field. Yeah, well, think about it. If you whatever his read was, and there's a couple people saying a couple of different things. I think it was quarterback power off left tackle, and even if it's super clean, I think he's going to have a tough time getting it in because Michigan was defending it fairly well. I don't think the throw to the flat was an option because the Michigan safety was running with him, and that was wasn't going to go. But once those eyes come down, there technically is no read because how do you read it? You don't. So I think he just said, I can't see anything. I just got to go. And that's what it turned into. And uh, one other part of that is J.C. Latham, the right tackle, he might be Alabama's best football player. And he gets bulldozed back in basically into Jalen Milrow's path and kind of bumped him as he's trying to go north and south. So there's a lot that went wrong on that play other than the snap. But you're right. There, was, there were two or three bad snaps in the game, multiple inaccurate snaps. Um, I do games with Jordan Rogers on the weekends, and I think he told me he charted the SEC championship game. There were, I think he said 15 what he called inaccurate snaps. So quarterbacks having to look up, down, left, right, and just basically not here. I don't know what you do. And it, it says to me more about the next guy than it does the guy that's actually in. Because what's, what what's going yeah. on with, with Darian Dalcourt that he can't get in the game and this has been happening the whole season? Holy shit, what's this guy got to have been doing? Because, like, when you think about people that have zero tolerance for bullshit or people that are getting very rudimentary stuff wrong, you think Nick Saban. You know, I think, of, you know, one guy in the pros, one guy in college. And, that, you know, I played for one of them and Bill. And if somebody was doing something like that, they'd be off the field quicker than you could even remember who he was. You know, he'd make you forget about that guy. And for that to have been happening in the SEC championship, as Jordan pointed out, and then have a month, you know, yeah. to rectify the situation. And it happens in the game and they don't take him out or anything like that. I, I think, you know, seeing Milrow struggle this year at times and like, he, hey, listen, I'm, I, am, I am not going to doubt the guy. You know, um, I, I, I think what he did this year was awesome, you know, from that USF situation to the end of the season. But his future is anything but guaranteed at Bama, right? I mean, with the with the yeah. climate, the way things are now, and they've got some big five-star guy coming out of Cali. I don't know much about the kid, but how good is he? And how does he figure into the the future plans for Bama, uh, you know, with, with Milrow? Well, they've got Lonergan already in school, too. He was there this past year. Apparently, they love him. He was kind of a long-shot guy when it went to hell in a handbasket early in the year saying – Maybe we just go to the young kid now and, and see yeah. what he can do and just kind of try to ride it out. Um, I think Jalen brings such a different dynamic that you probably would love to have an offseason of knowing what you know now and then Tommy Reese be able to retool that offense to his strengths and what he's going to be able to help you do because the, the personality of that offense, the identity of that offense changed four or five times through the course of the season. I mean, they went from trying to be a drop-back team that ate you up on across the middle and with short, quick throws to make life easy on him. They couldn't protect then. They didn't have really a downhill running attack. Middle of the season, they were legitimately a shot play offense. I mean, right. it was try to run, try to run, dink and dunk, and then we're going to force shots down the field, and it worked sometimes. Milrow run around a little bit, and then they kind of started getting into a groove late where the downhill run game was there. We saw what they did to that Georgia defensive line. The offensive line started coming together a little bit, protecting a little more. It felt like his variety of routes that he was comfortable with was there. But 
I think the reality of what you saw against Michigan, you can. I've heard we had a lot of people calling this morning, pissed off about play calling. All right, that's fine. I saw a lot of execution that didn't look the way that it needed to look. I mean, when you turn a guy free in a pressure situation, that's not the play call as, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Like you have to have answers for that. And so I think Jalen Milrow has a long way to go mentally as far as understanding not just coverages or where to get the ball to or progressions, but what do I need to get into or how, how many do I have for how many that I think are coming and yeah. just the ball's got to get out plain and simple. That's not that hard. And there was a lot of that that people aren't talking about that I think was most likely on him last night. Yeah. That not the absence of hot, you know, hot routes or easy escape, uh, built-in contingencies but him not taking them right yep. yeah and then just that wherewithal of saying all right we got to slide it here and then the ball's got to get out or I can't yeah. pick up 35 off the edge if he's coming uh, uh, throw it in the stands live to yeah. live to fight another day and I didn't see a lot of that happening yesterday help me put something in perspective because we've waited years and I don't want to use the royal we but I assume you too uh for Bama to look human and you know now it's like we're we're in this this post-dynasty kind of era where it feels like, oh, the, the torch has been passed. It's Georgia. They got beat by Michigan. Like, and it's not as cool as I thought it was going to be watching Bama flounder in a playoff. Like, <laughs> I, I wanted to see them win. And I got nothing against Michigan. I just I got a lot of respect for what they built there. And so I guess putting things in perspective for me, this Bama team plays the best Bama team from the last 10 years. What's the line? Oh, God. Uh, the, first off, you'd have to figure out which one you wanted to take. And that might go back to style or matchup as well. So do you take like a 2009 defense, you know, and you take Marcel Darius and Rolando McClain and Javier Arenas and those guys, and you say, we don't really care. Like McElroy might only have to throw the ball four times. It's not really going to yeah. matter. We'll run Mark Ingram, and they're not going to move the football. Or do you want to go with Tua – and Jerry Judy and Devonta Smith and Henry Ruggs and just say, yeah, we'll air it out. We don't think that defense is going to be able to get to the quarterback. Or even if they do, they can't cover us. It depended on what you would want. But I think there are probably three teams that you could take that would be a seven-and-a-half, eight-point favorite against this football team. They just – of all the Bama teams that we have seen be dominant, now those teams have been, as you're, as you're alluding to, different than this team. Look at where they're different. Wide receiver. Yeah. And we've seen game-changing wide receivers. Washington's got them right now. Oh, Texas has got a couple right now. Like, that's what makes them different, different. Um, 2019 LSU, Joey B was incredible. Mm -hmm. But now we've seen what those receivers are doing in the NFL and how stupid it was to have that collection of talent on one team. Uh, mm -hmm. That offensive line also won the Joe Moore Award, and Clyde Edwards ran for 1,000 yards. So, yeah. And then you go to the interior of the defensive line. Um, Jonathan Allen, Quinnen Williams. Uh, Marcel Darius, who we, who we mentioned a few moments ago, Jaron Reed, Alshon Roberts. I mean, the, the list goes on. They are not anywhere near that right now. DB, you can make a case for some of the corners especially. I do think Deontay Lawson at inside linebacker has a chance to be there. They're probably better on both edges, at least from a pass rush perspective, as a combo as they've ever been under Coach Saban. But they've never really had to rely on that. It's, it's and ironically, they haven't. Ironically, they haven't had a bunch of pro edge guys that, no. that, that, you know, pan out and turn into longtime guys or anything. So, 
kind of always been an interesting uh, thing to me. Um, although I like some of the D linemen, period. Like some of their in- interior guys have been oh, yeah. incredible. The guys you named and then guys that we didn't even name. So um, before we get to that, that late game, which was more of a shootout, I just want to take a minute as a casual fan of the SEC and what's going on down there. I got to, first off, I got to visit Tuscaloosa this year. I don't know if I told you that, but um, man, I had never been to an SEC football game. My kid's going to Bama. I hate to tell you. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you this. Go to a game in Baton Rouge, in Gainesville, in Auburn. And if you want like an under the radar, go to a game in South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. And it'll make your decision really hard. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a tour. It was me and and two of my other almost 40-year-old buddies. And we were like, uh, we got our papers to go down to Tuscaloosa, T-Town for a night. We were in... uh, the main bar in there. Rasilla is going to kill me for not remembering. Probably Innisfree, if I had to guess. He loves uh, Innisfree, but there's another yeah. one. Uh, anyways, had the time of our lives. But the whole thing I'm wondering is a team and a coach that I really have a liking for is not just the dominance that Georgia's played with, but I can remember since Kirby Smart got there, there's this memory in my head of them playing Baylor in a bowl game. And this is before, this is like on the cusp of when this got to be more of a crapshooter who wanted to play in these games. And they just beat the dog shit out of them. And the sounds that were coming off that sideline were guttural. I think this was like 2019. And I was like, that staff wants to win. You know, and I, you know, obviously everything is, that's followed that, them asserting their dominance. But Kirby Smart seems like a master motivator, man. There's and no to get them up for that FSU game, and I don't know where you land on that thing. I'm not here to argue about FSU. I'm going to have Canell on the pod. I'm going to tell him he's got to walk me through his beautiful house. Oh, that'll, that'll, be, that'll be an even-killed discussion on that game. I'm sure, he'll, <laughs> I'm sure he'll deliver both sides of it for you. Yeah, but my thing is, Georgia didn't have to be there either. No. And no, they I, beat I, the I, dog shit out of those guys, and it meant something. And, and when I heard he said, play for the seniors, if, you, if you're going to stick around – if you want to go, go ahead. But if you want to stick around, maybe stick around and play for the seniors. That, to me, that's the cheat code, having a guy like that who can kind of guilt trip you but coming from the right place. And it, it just speak to how incredible it is that he gets these guys up for every situation. Uh, a couple of things here. Uh, first off, in that, in that individual, I'm kind of like you. I don't, I don't need to, to go macho man savage off the top rope and drop an elbow on Florida State. I think we know what it is. A lot of that yeah. is just where we are in today's college football. It's fine. For the guys that are going early, I totally get it. But I will say this. The disappointing part, where I land on a lot of stuff in college football right now is I don't like it, but I understand it. Yeah. So I'm never going to sit there and celebrate some of the stuff that's happening, but I'm also not going to be the get-off-my-lawn guy with some of it because I, I kind of get it. The disappointing part is, and I've talked to some coaches that agree with this wholeheartedly, the announcement, Chris, has become more important than competing or playing in games. Right. Most of these guys, I, I, I talked to one coach for one team this offseason. He's like, I got a guy that's going to be a fucking fifth-round draft pick that says he doesn't want to play in the bowl game because he wants to go get ready to be in the NFL. He's like, so you're going to go work on your bench press for a month instead of playing another football game. Like, that's his words, not mine. I'm like, I get it. I totally get it. Like, you know, like I do. The best way to get good at playing football is to play football. It's just the reality of it. So that part's kind of disappointing. Uh, From the individual Florida State perspective in that game, not everybody, but there are a couple of guys, effort-wise, not good. Disappointing. And yeah. so 
I look at it as, okay, now it's your opportunity. You got to be out there like your hair's on fire, man. You haven't played all year, and, and they haven't had a ton of reps. I understand that part of it. But where Kirby Smart comes in and what he does, he is, and I mean this as a compliment, he is the closest thing to full-born mercenary in college football that we have. Like, it is legitimately win at all costs. And that is the time he spends on the road recruiting, the effort he puts into just talking to his players, relating to his players, how he pushes his players in practice. He can go find these killers that just want to go out and go full pads every day. And would, if he asked them to, would literally go inside drill for 22 periods a day. That's just he finds these guys that are wired a different way, and then I think he kind of pits them against each other. And I mean, we, we heard it after they won the national title last year. All these players are out there like, "Y'all picked us to win eight games and go seven and four. And I'm like, "Nobody in their right mind picked you to go seven and four, man." Like, if somebody would have made picked, you crazy, if somebody would have picked you to lose two, the Georgia <laughs> media would have would have lost their minds and been full attack mode. So. He's got tactics, man. Like he's got, just got mental and emotional tactics that other people don't have, and he gets different things out of these guys. And then he goes and finds these freak show athletes that there's just literally nothing you can do about it when they are motivated. So, yeah. perfect example in that game. Tyke Smith at safety has been unbelievable for them this year. This dude is flying up to the line of scrimmage to take on pulling guards. He's a 214 pound safety. Javon Bullard, who might be 205, maybe, is flying up, diving, throwing his body on the line in the middle of screens, like getting knocked around like a bowling pin, just trying to make sure a play doesn't go for an explosive. That's the kind, and those two guys are going to get drafted. That's the kind of stuff that he got from his players in that game. There's no, I can't sit here and explain it because otherwise everybody else would be doing it if there was some magic formula. But he's got it, man. Kind of like Washington, I've described them as having it. You played football, so you know. Certain teams have it. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to describe it. I can't write it down. It's not in the dictionary. But they just got it. Kirby kind of has it when it comes to making his players want to be and do different things. I like the guy. I mean, I don't know if I could handle 22 plays in a row of, uh, of inside run anymore, but you can get five snaps out of your boy. He's got me hyped on the – he's staring at my, my TV screen in here, especially when the first half uh, line was, was free money. Okay, it was, my, it was oh, yeah. George minus 14, bro. Come on now. All right, now here's the other one. You know, you guys did, as I like to call it, the cube cast. I don't know what you call that. Oh, yeah, uh, let's go with that. You, yeah, you, you, I think you call it like the McAfee cast or something like that, but I think it's, it's the cube cast. And you guys are doing cardio. Uh, you, Colt McCoy, Acho, and, and who else was out there? It was, Harry it was, Douglas was out there. Harry Douglas, who I played against a bunch. I love Harry Douglas. I thought I heard his voice. Um, you know, like, is, is, that, is that unlike any other thing you do in the media? And, and how tough is that? Because it's like a four-man booth on the move. Yep. It, it, it almost feels like maybe it's easier than being in the booth, if you had to imagine being in the booth. But what were the mechanics of like, that like? Well, it's easier because of that word that you just used. There really are no mechanics to it. I mean, it's, right. if we talk over seven plays in a row, we talk over seven plays in a row. I, I tried to keep it a little bit organized just because whatever those guys who all have amazing football acumen do have to say, I want the people to be able to hear it. But also <laughs> the reactions are amazing. That would be the, the mm -hmm. biggest difference whether I'm on the sideline in one of my normal games or in the booth. I'm not yelling, oh, like I'm not going nuts about a hit or I'm not yelling ball when the fumble comes out. Uh -huh. We can have fun and enjoy it that way in that one. 
And also, too, just having all the different opinions. And, you know, I, like I told Acho, I was like, defensive stuff, I'm probably coming to you. You know, if it's O-line stuff, I'm probably going to take it. Colt, I want to ask you about throws, arm angles, coverages, when the receiver breaks a route off. Harry, I'm coming over to you. Why did he drop that ball? I'm coming to you. So we all kind of knew we were going to have different things that we were going to go to. And it's kind of cool sometimes to just get out there and be Magic Johnson and say, I don't have to shoot the ball 25 times. Like, I can just give it to these guys and let them be the experts. And it's fun. So, and then McConaughey drops by. Yo. And Arakpo was in there. Yeah. I mean, it was. Is that your buddy, McConaughey? First time I'd met him. First time. Oh, you did so good in the picture. You you nailed the picture. You know, I thought you guys had hung out a bunch. You know, like. One take. Steve and Ryan act like they're on speaking terms with the guy when they see him down at UT. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, you played it fucking cool, man. You had the cool smile and the whole thing. How cool was he in person? He, he is exactly what you would imagine. Um, he's not an act. He was the same dude that I've seen on every other mega cast or interview or whatever it was. And Harry kind of nerded out one time. He said, do you mind if I give you my favorite movie? And he gives him his favorite, like, McConaughey role. And I was like, I got to do it. And I What said, was it well, for Harry? Was it cringe? I, I, may, I can't remember what movie he threw in. It wasn't what one that I was you? super familiar with. So I said, well, do you mind if I throw in my favorite movie? And he turns and he said, well, you, yeah, go ahead. And I was like, well, my favorite movie is Predator. It has nothing to do with you, but that's just my favorite movie of all time. Sorry. And he was cool. Oh, he was cool as shit. He was like, oh, no, not Predator, badass movie now. He was like, I'll give it yeah. to you. That's one of my favorite movies too. So when I was like, yeah, I mean – Anytime, anytime we can get the former Minnesota governor picking up a Gatling gun, trying to take out an invisible alien, like we are winning in that film. Like I'm going to watch that one over and over. Dog, that that movie is the best action movie of that era. I mean, you, you give you me the hell of, well. I mean, I'm just saying that was the golden era. Yes. You know, there's some you know you know Commando and all that stuff, and even getting into the Terminators. I got a soft spot in my heart for Predator now. You know, have the, you the now? Let me ask. Let me ask you this real quick. This is we're taking a left turn here, but no, I kind of like pitching this. I yeah. like pitching this to people. Have you noticed how the majority of Schwarzenegger movies have been ripped off and remade? So, Running Man, Hunger Games, Commando, Taken, Predator. You can take a bunch of different like sci-fi movies and yeah, say that sure. those have been ripped off, like. Everything he did back in the – it's like they put a new name on it and basically did it again because everybody's like, Hunger Games is so awesome. I was like, have you seen Running Man? Like, it's have the same done, thing. Have they, have they done True Lies? Have they done Eraser? I don't – yep, that's all fair. There's no real I mean, estate out there, man. You know, that's all I'm saying. I love that movie, though, bro. I love – we could do a whole podcast on Predator. But yes. uh, we're talking about Matthew McConaughey here. I got to throw Interstellar in the hat. There's a few others. Mud is a great one. Yep. Uh, the movie where he got real skinny. Dallas Buyers that, Club. Yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah, I never saw that one. Absolutely. Real quick, quick anecdote for you. He came on my show promoting his book, Green Lights. The nerve on this guy. My podcast is Green Light. <laughs> Fucking nerve on some people. And he gets on. And I've read the book. I really have. Like, for me to read a book since from Goosebumps to now... And it's not because I'm not I'm illiterate or something. I just don't have a lot of time. I've read maybe like five, ten books. That's a terrible admission by me since school. Like ten completed books, but Green Lights was one of them. I forgot about the chapter where he prefers to be called his full name. So he comes on the show and we start. And right before we start, I go, really appreciate you coming on, Matt. And uh, there's like a, because t- I'm a short, shorten your name guy. 
don't yeah. know if you, you know people like that. I'm just shorting your name. Guy. Ten seconds go by. We're about to turn it on. He goes, uh, yeah, and Chris, he goes, uh, I don't know if you saw that chapter in the book, but it's Matthew. That's how my <laughs> mama prefers it. And the tape cuts on, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Interview Matthew McConaughey. And he was so fucking cool. Yes. But he did not yeah. mince words on that thing. So I hope you called him Matthew. Um, all right. Somebody that, that needs to be Michael, not Mike, is Michael Penix Jr. Ooh. That dude last night, and I don't know anything about, because I got to tell you, I don't watch a lot of Conference of Champions, formerly Conference of Champions. But you got I, one I more watch, shot. You got one more shot, and I'm rooting <laughs> for him. But you, you, I didn't watch a lot of Pac-12 games this year. In fact, I fell asleep during the freaking Colorado-Colorado State game in the third quarter. Fell asleep during that game. And I was at risk of it last night. But Penix, the throws are pro throws. Oh, man. Like, I don't know anything about anything else. But I know that thing he's got on his shoulder needs to be registered. And it's like this guy, some of the throws he made off the bat with the noise behind him. I know it's loud there. And it felt like it was all Texas. And for him to go backed up against the goal line and make the throws he made early in that game, it was like, holy shit, the stones on this guy and the arm. Did he exceed expectations for you, or is this just who he is? No, I've seen him. I had the Alamo Bowl last year, and I was on the sidelines, so the two same teams. And then I had Indiana in a bowl game in the COVID year, and I had watched a lot of his film then, kind of getting ready for that when he was out for that game, but I went back and watched him, so I kind of knew a lot about him. And I've had a lot. I've gotten to know Kalen since that Alamo Bowl last year fairly well, so we've kind of communicated about him a lot. Um, quickly, I want to go back on that noise that you brought up because you're right. It was probably 70, 30, 60, 40 ish Texas fans. It was loud when Washington has the ball. Washington comes out first possession, they're backed up, and two or three of the offensive linemen start doing this. Offensive linemen, they had the ball, and the noise was getting cranked up. And Ocho and I kind of talked about it, and I asked Roger Rosengard and their right tackle about it after the game, and he said, Yeah, we knew it was closer to closer to Texas and they were going to have us outnumbered. So we just kind of had, we were already ready to be able to deal with it and not really have to communicate. So we we're like, screw it, man. Come on, bring it. Like we're ready for it. Get, yeah. get louder. We don't care. I was like, that's never seen that before, by the way, but I like it. I'm, I'm here for it, but he is everything that you saw last night, Chris, he is five times the human being than what you saw him as the quarterback on the football field. Kenny Main stopped by with us and said Penix came and did a charity banquet for his charity that raises money to help wounded veterans, yep. and they needed to purchase a couple braces to go on the legs of these veterans Ron to help Steely. them be able to run. Yes.org for Kenny Maine. That's our guy. We love that guy. So I think, I think he told us that Penix came in. They sold like 20 seats. Maybe it was 1000 bucks a seat, maybe 5000 I don't know. But with everybody who did it, you got an autographed football. You got to catch – a route from Penix and I get a couple minutes with him as well. And he said, Mike took time with everybody. He said he did it all. He didn't complain, stayed the whole time, talked to everybody who was there. And just, he said he would, he just agreed to do it because he wanted to do it. And I've been around him a little bit. Like he's, we took the Joe Moore award out there and he was more excited than any of the offensive linemen were for them to be able to get that award. Like he's an awesome kid, but you're right. The, the, the windows that he even attempts to put the ball in, are surprising, and then you look up and they're all completions. Right? And then last night, I thought the most amazing part that Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, did, they have not lived on quarterback run. 
they've barely called quarterback run. Like He's got some wheels, but last night you kind of saw him say, okay, if you're going to play us this way, you're going to take the perimeter away, we're going to read it, and we'll let him run. And then he showed you he'll break you down. The movement in the pocket to reset and then deliver strikes was maybe the most impressive part of his game. Beautiful deep ball thrower, has all the velocity, can throw off platform. Like McElroy and I rode back from New Orleans today, and we spent a lot of time talking about that. And he's like, listen, man, there's going to be some real conversations about some of these other guys that people are saying are just ahead of him. They're going to start having real talk about, do we maybe consider Mike Penix instead? Because he's on that level. He may be the most NFL-ready of all of them right now. Bro, I'm careful making comparisons like this because I think this highly of this quarterback this quickly, but C.J. Stroud, you know, I'm not comparing, but what I am saying is the way that he showed out because people don't watch, and a lot of the draft is narrative-driven too now. Sure. Don't get me wrong because people feel the pressure of these mock drafts and the way the agents play this game and the whole thing and the way the fans get behind. You, you think that Chicago decision is easy right now? In a vacuum, they might do exactly what they want to do either way. But the noise matters, you know, the court yes. of public opinion, the whole thing. And I think I think Michael Penix playing the way he's played and he hasn't been able to have as many eyes on him this year because he plays up in Washington. And a lot of people watch Pac-12 football. I'm not saying that everybody's like me, but I felt like him getting that stage last night. Yep. You know, you have a chance to be – and it's also a reason that, you know, for some quarterbacks it might be good to play in the playoff or play in your bowl game. And, you know, I totally respect the guys that don't, but – that was pretty cool. And as a sidebar, I wanted to ask you, that USC game, am I supposed to make something either way about Caleb Williams because of how damn good this uh, – what's his name? Miller – he's got the Ma best name. Miller, Miller Moss. Moss. Yeah. It, it, am I supposed double, to make something last of that? Name. You know? um, well, I think, I think what we're always going to be able to make of it, and the easy thing to take it is that Lincoln Riley still knows offense. And Lincoln Riley can still can still dial up some plays, and they have some some pretty legit skill that's sitting there waiting to get some more playing time uh, in their own right. So, I mean, I, I think what that said for for SC is the culture is not near as bad as a lot of us wanted to believe that it was. Right. There are a lot of people nationally that say, "Oh, they're soft. They don't like to tackle. And they're they're weak." And I think he's gone out and addressed it. And this may have been kind of the first step that we were able to see of him addressing that, saying. All right, I, we got it, but we also we know we got this side taken care of, so let me put that on full display while I'm getting this other part handled, and then next year, hopefully we can take a step in both directions. I don't think he's the answer full-time at quarterback, or else right. the, our kid from Kansas State wouldn't be really in the mix at all, but I think it shows you that he can still work some magic with a quarterback that might not start at 50 or 60 other schools. Well, isn't it really hard to evaluate kids in college because of not just the fact they're so young and all that stuff, but you don't have preseason, you get spring ball, you don't have chances to see the live bullets, so to speak. And, you know, a guy like that, he might look like one thing in practice and he gets out on the grass and he just looked like a damn Heisman Trophy winner for much of that night. And, you know, then you're rethinking a couple of things. And I'm not saying I know anything about that program or the other kid who's been waiting in the wings. But when I watched that game, I was like, USC is going to be all right. And, you know, like I saw some kids running out of the end zone and people making a big deal about it. I'm a big Caleb fan, and I'm not going to get on this bandwagon where people get pissed at him because he sat on the bench for a while and that sort of thing. Like, you know, people have their moments. Uh, but there were guys running off the field saying, we're a team now. 
And I know you probably saw that. I was like, what, do you make anything of that? or, or just- No, I, I make the exact same thing of Alabama last year. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is – a lot of it is subconscious. And when you have Bryce Young on your offense and Will Anderson on your defense, I believe subconsciously that just based on the players that they are, a lot of guys are looking over there saying, well, it's, it's third and four, like – he's the guy like he's going to make the play we'll be okay yeah. if I screw this up we're good like Will's going to get him in the backfield it's fine and then on top of that I think NIL has added to that a little bit where I think there are kids probably looking over there going well he's the one with the Gatorade deal he, yeah. he's the he's the one on the Dr. Pepper commercial like why do I have to go do this like right. I mean, we're talking about yeah. 18 19 year old kids like you remember how we were we were half idiots so yeah I just I think that that creeps into the back of kids' brains, and you're like, well, he makes the play all the time anyway, so we're good. Or he, he's the one getting all the money. Why why would he not go make the play? And I'm not saying that they don't give good effort or they don't know what they're doing, but I just I think when that's in the back of your brain, it's hard to overcome. We didn't have to overcome things like that. Like we that's a good there point. wasn't there wasn't Twitter. There wasn't all these analysts saying this. Yeah. They wouldn't be anywhere without this guy. He's carrying the entire team. I mean, yeah. I played when, when I played when Peyton played at Tennessee, yeah. and everybody knew how good he was. But people didn't say those things. Like Peerless Price was still pretty damn good. Like Jamal Lewis was still pretty damn good. So. It's just a different – like you said, the narratives now that float around. Perfect example. I'm working Saturday night. Halftime, I'm looking at my phone, and I'm seeing these tweets about how Oregon just kicked the shit out of Utah and how it was this physical beatdown. And, oh, they just – they ran them off the field. I'm like, I got to go watch this. So I do a show in Charlotte Monday nights. I'm flying home. I watch my national games then. And I put it on, and it's basically Utah forgot how to cover in this game. It's guys right. running wide open. Uh, right. There's a crosser with no one in sight. There's a there's a go route with literally no one's covering the guy. And I'm like, where's the ass kicking? Like, when do the gladiators step on the field here? I'm ready to see that. There wasn't that. But it's just we get these narratives out with these games that we want them to be. Individual players, size of the ball, teams, games, matchups. And we just run with it. And there's not a lot of thought behind it. And there's not a lot of, I guess, proof behind it. And people just take it and they run. And it's, it's wild sometimes kind of where things end up. I feel like the NFL is going to get the MVP right. But I had this sinking feeling the entire year this year with the Heisman. And I complained to Steve all year. I was like, this award is broken. And I'm not saying they're going to give it to the wrong guy or something. But it feels like this award was invented when there wasn't social media and 24-hour news cycle. And we ride this wave every week. It's like... It's like with the MVP, one week it was Dak, he had a bad game. Then it was Brock, and he had a bad game. It's almost like people play themselves out of it more than they have that moment. you know. Yeah. And um, I thought this Heisman race was really unique. And I, I thought it should have gone to Penix, but I'm not a huge LSU guy. Like, I didn't watch Jaden Daniels all year. You know, because I think there is some magic to it. And I kind of wonder if today's climate is going to ruin some of these awards because we ride the waves so much and because – the truth can be distorted so much in the way you just put it. It's so, already happened. No, it's, yeah. it's already happened. I mean, you have – there's a, there are a couple of proud awards that have changed their category. Right. And instead of, a, instead of a defensive lineman getting it, now it's like any football player that doesn't play receiver can get it or whatever terms they try to come up with and make up to make it a more popular award. I mean, listen, nothing against Marvin Harrison Jr. He's an awesome football player. He's going to make a ton of money. If you watched college football this year, 
he wasn't the Bolitnikoff Award winner. I can probably give you three, maybe four others that should have won that award instead. He's a, and see, that's part of the problem, Chris. I can't say that without a segment of the, of the college football either coverage or fandom that's not going to lose their mind. Hater. Like we can't just we can't yeah you're uh, did you watch him you idiot you can't we can't just talk about it anymore yeah. but like you yeah. didn't watch Malik Neighbors or Romo Dunze if you really think that's real I mean yeah. and I mean I'll give you a kid at South Carolina that had almost nothing to work with that had an incredible year that I would have probably taken his season instead but he still didn't have the same numbers it's just he was there before the season just like he was in New York before the season mm-hmm. and it's. What made me think of that when you said that was guys playing their way off of lists. Mm-hmm. And it should never be that. You, it should always be who's playing them onto that list because that makes them more deserving of the award. And the award says most outstanding player. It doesn't say best quarterback or best player on best team. That's why I don't have a vote. I would have voted Quentin Nelson number one on my yeah. ballot because I thought his last year at Notre Dame, he was the most outstanding player in college football. Quentin yeah. Williams at Alabama was a one-man wrecking crew at nose guard, by the way, which we've seen like five guys in college football history dominate from that position the way that he did. I think he had one vote in the top three of anybody. This is a student named Craig Stevenson, who's a beat writer down in South Alabama. So that's why they'll never give me one. But it doesn't have to be a skill guy. I mean, it's just it's the most outstanding player. And well, I got, I, got, I got some fun stuff from the game. It doesn't have to be all we, we're getting worked up about football here. Um, do you feel the vibe when you're down on the field before the game and, and kind of get a lean on who's, who's confident and who's not? Was there a vibe coming from Washington? And was there something different coming from Texas? Because it felt like if I just zapped into my chair and had no foregone conclusion, that Washington team was a four-point favorite, not the four-point dog. And they, they played like it. Washington is the dude that, and you had one of these guys on most of the teams that you played on. They're the guy that doesn't say a lot. And on, on max out day, they only bench like 320. And, but then when you do board drills and you take one in the chin, you're like, where in the fuck did that come from? Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen this dude in the weight room. That, something doesn't equate here. Yeah. They're that soft-spoken guy that, like, no one knows not to try them until they've been tried. That's how they carry themselves. And apparently, Kalen had a team meeting the night before the game set up. And about five minutes before they were supposed to have it, Penix kicks all the coaches out. And they have a players-only meeting. And Kalen told me he still doesn't know what was said. He didn't even ask. But he has to follow that up. And he goes in there. And he said, just looking at the guys, he knew nothing else needed to be said. Good night, he boys. Said, they were good. He's like, they were locked in. They were ready. They were focused. That was it. And there's not a lot of trash talkers on that team. Some of the most incredible guys. I'll, another example, when, I took, when Aaron Taylor and I took him to Joe Moore Award a couple weeks ago, we're kind of hanging out, hanging out. And here this one dude walks up and puts his hand out. He goes, hey, man, I just want to introduce you myself. And thank you so much for bringing this. It's so cool. Like, I've, I've seen what you do on TV. It was Roma Dunze, yeah. wide, one of the best receivers in the country. And I'm like, why are you coming to talk to me right now? That's like, cool, it, though. Like, but that's who they are. And so yeah. they're a very mature group. Um, they're just a bunch of veterans. He's kind of he's, – he's batting like 850 in the portal. Like, he doesn't just take guys. He takes guys that are going to come help him. 
And yeah. Dylan Johnson's like a perfect example of that running back who probably won't play in the title game. It's going to be a big loss. But, I mean, Penix is another one the same way. Like, they go get guys that are going to help them and that have a certain mindset. I was still a little worried about – let's just be real. Texas is the – they're the flash. They're the glitz. They're the brand. And so yeah. – there are things that come with that. I've, I've talked to Sark about it, and he knows that. And he's tried to talk to some of his guys about, listen, there are different things that come with being a quarterback. There are a lot more different things that come with being the quarterback at Texas. That's another whole thing. And so he tries to manage that with his guys. And it's tough. And he's done a hell of a job kind of rebuilding that part of that team. But I still had that feeling, whatever that it factor is, Washington's got it. I said it in the Pac-12 title game. I said it in this game. I was like, I, I get paid to be an analyst. This is not super analytical. There's something about this team, and I ain't betting against them. So that's kind of where I was, and you could see that pregame. And then when I heard about that meeting the night before, I was like, ugh, I, I don't see this team dropping this one. Last question before I get your prediction on the big one on Monday. Was the Husky soft as it looked? Softer than it looked. Um, honestly, really? the first – I just I, wanted to pet that dog. I wanted it. I wanted to take it. And I asked the – I asked the, she's like – I said, we want to do something on camera with the dog. And, and she said, like, what do you want to do? Like, just pet it. Like, he'll give you five or he'll, we can get him to bark. Like, he'll speak. I was like, can I hold him for a series? She's like, you're going to hold him. And I was like, I would love to. And she's like, I don't know if he'll go for that. And I was like, well, can I, I wanted to try – and so I'm petting him, and I'm like, man, you would need, like, four Roombas if you had this dog because shed. the shedding. I mean, that's one thing, like, with my wife, like, drives her crazy with our dogs. Like, she, there's no way because oh, yeah. it would be all over the place. And I, I, don't, I actually don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not. Um, ah, it's not a husky. <laughs> no. It had these species eyes, man. You remember the movie Species? Yeah. Where the hot babe turned into a reptile. Yep. You remember the movie. You remember the It's called an Alaskan Malamute. 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 Sorry. Malamute. Yeah. Whatever the Malamute. fuck it is. It's that, not a husky. That, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell people this or not, but it's beautiful. Well, I'm going to. It's a worthy mascot either way because it was an awesome dog and that thing was thick. Giant paws. I was like, I love. I want to steal this dog right now. Damn, dude, that was such a moment. I just had to ask. I know Ugg is one hundred percent a real bulldog because I have a real bulldog, and that's that's what. Oh that's yeah, see, that's it. Don't don't go into that one. You'll get the I whole know. the dogs. The dog's name is Q, and we made fun of that because I'm like, why do y'all yeah. call it Ugga? And then here we go. It's like here we go. Yeah, don't no, don't tell the it. Auburn people they have two mascots. Yes, we say War Eagle, but the tiger is still the mascot. I know it's confusing, but and that'd be a real be tiger. Um, all right, well, well. So where do you lean on Monday? Do they have a shot? I'm going to be betting. Uh, hey, Washington, just Joe fan betting Washington because I and it's not even like I hate Harbaugh or Harbaugh was in the NFC West when I was there in the heyday of those rivalries, at least in my career where. They were physical. They had that big front, you know, Alex Boone, IU Potty. Uh, there was Anthony Davis, dude, that me and him didn't get along tackle. Frank Gore, all those big tight ends. I got a lot of respect for Jim Harbaugh and what he built there and Greg Roman and those guys. So nothing against Michigan. This isn't an old rivalry thing, but I want to see Washington win that game. Can they win the game? And if they win the game or if they don't win the game, is this Harbaugh's last game at Michigan? 
I think this is Harbaugh's last game in college football, period. I just think that uh, the NCAA cannot really go after a lot right now, and he seems to be a guy that they want to try to go after, and why would you stick around for that? It now, like- he also has the, the, the mentality and the temperament and just enough of the no Fs given to maybe stick around and say, keep trying. You know what? Suspend me for another half a year, and we'll win all those games too. Uh, And that's like the contrast in this game are amazing. Kalen DeBoer is the most approachable, personable, nicest, non-assuming college head coach you're ever going to meet. And then we get the weirdest head coach we've maybe ever had in college football. And so like that together, and you can be mad at Jim – you can say Jim is weird, but what you just said, I think you have to be on board with. You have to respect what he's done. Those mm-hmm. kids play their asses off up front on both sides of the ball. The secondary flies downhill to make tackles. The receivers like to block. He has tight ends that will actually line up in line and attack a defender. They're not just trying to fall down in front of them. I, I love and respect the style of play that they have. And I love what Sharon Moore did with their offensive plan because they have not been super creative all year and they were going to have to be that against Alabama. That's what had worked against Alabama. Misdirection, window dressing, you know, getting different guys going in different directions, changing up your reads, and they did that. They added some of that, some unbalanced looks, some different plays that they had, and that's why they were successful. But I'll just go back to what I said before. It's not super analytical. I'm not betting against this Washington team. I'm not betting against Penix. The way that they can distribute the football, they're one of four teams that has 2,000-yard receivers in college football this year. You saw Jack Westover at tight end make multiple massive catches. After Dylan Johnson was beat up, you had a true freshman running back that went out there that was making plays. No Dylan Johnson's going to hurt. The offensive line is solid, and you saw Brendan Trice on defense just basically take over that game. He Good was in the player. backfield the whole night. Yeah, they got guys. The defense overall might not be great, but they have some guys that can make plays. I think I've always thought team of destiny is super corny. I hate that. But whatever the it factor is, like, this team's just got it, man. I'm, I'm not going to bet against Washington. I didn't do it in the Pac-12 title game. I didn't do it against Texas. I'm not going to do it now. Respect the hell out of that Michigan defense and J.J. McCarthy and the running game. You lose your best lineman. You still roll offensively. And I just think that if by default Washington were to get to 24-28, don't think Michigan wants to play that style of football game. One guess at next year's Washington, and by that I mean a team that's a great story and makes actual noise from relatively out of nowhere. And I know people are going to say Washington's good, but they were like nine-point dogs in that Pac-12 championship. So don't tell me you saw this coming unless you saw it coming. So what do you now, think? The, the, relatively, ah, the relatively nowhere part is what's so hard because I think with the portal now, college football is – almost accidentally doing what the NFL has done brilliantly for years, and that is have different landmarks throughout the calendar that keep us in tune and make us want to pay attention to it. The portal has been huge with that. Um, I'll give you Arizona because, one, I love Jed Fish. The guy is a badass. Um, If you don't know who their wide receiver T-Mac is, you need to go watch him because he's one of those guys that – Technically, probably should have won the Blitnikoff over Marvin Harrison. The guy is a freak show. Noah Fafita, if he was three inches taller, we'd be talking about him being drafted in the first round. They're, they had to replace a quarterback this year in the middle of the season. They still won 10 games. They lost to Washington by one score. 
lost to USC in overtime on the road, and they lost at Mississippi State, a game that their original starting quarterback threw four picks in the first half. Um, they have just great stories all over that football team. The culture is incredible there. They're very similar in their behavior and the type of guys that they have and how they treat each other and treat other people that Washington is right now. And that's one that I think they're going to have some big-time dudes back. They lose Jordan Morgan at left tackle, first-round tackle most likely. But they're going to have some guys, and I think the portal is going to start leaning into them because of what they've got going on. And that schedule actually lightens up going to the Big 12 next year. I mean, they, they, they played a brutal schedule this season. I think seven or eight teams they played that were ranked at some point. So I think Arizona could be a team that we're looking at at the end of the year saying, man, where, how did this happen? Because a lot of people didn't even pay attention to them this year. Okay, consider that future bought. And, I, and if it doesn't work out, I won't text you. I'm not going to be that guy. Okay. But I'm, I'm going to buy that Arizona future because my boy Cole Kublick said so. And uh, Happy New Year's, dude. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. I know you're dragging ass, but you, you answered the call. You answered the bat signal to come on green light uh, in lieu of our guy Stanford. Steve. I don't know what the fuck he's doing anyways, you know, right right now. But I didn't even ask, but I was he excited. Probably, he, he played like eight or nine more snaps and needed some extra time. He's, he's <laughs> in the ice bath right now. So, Dude, thank you very much. A lot of fun hey, talking I enjoyed it. To Thanks for having me. I, yeah. Absolutely. Anytime you need me, let me know. And tell Mac I said what's up, man. And you can catch Cole at – Mac and Cube uh, in in Birmingham, right? That's that's where you guys tape every day. All right. Yeah, jocksfm jocksfm.com, seven to ten a.m. Central. If you want to tune into that one. Sick. All right, man. Well, appreciate you being on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.